coach, I'm ready to play fantasy. I know I turned two in a day, but the lace isn't hot in my veins. I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today and smash play. I'm prepared to listen. The X flipping whip got me looking way past the pitches. Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first, he can say I'm ready to go. <laughs> I ain't trying to steal second or third. Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it in the points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn two Turn two, what it do? Hey everybody, welcome back to the Turn 2 Podcast We are here talking about shortstops And our next positional breakdown I am your host, Matt Williams, and joining me, like usual, is Mr. Andy Singleton. What is up, dude? What's happening? This is our first uh, time recording in the evening. This is our first time with Sam finally uh, making us complete and joining us. We have a great guest and Max Freeze joining us as well. So excited to talk. There's a, listen, we've been going deep with these positional rankings, and shortstop, in my opinion, is the deepest position this year. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of banter going on. So strap in. Stick with us. Stay excited. All right, like you said, making his season debut on his own show, Mr. Mr. FF Stompy, Sam Lane. Welcome. Welcome to 2020 baseball, my friend. I'm back. I'm excited. It's baseball season. I'm I'm ready to go. I had to take a hiatus there from fantasy, whatever. But I'm good to go now. <laughs> Is take January off and never existed. Yep. On with February. Yeah. And uh, and as Andy said, we have a very special guest, the man of the hour, uh, the guy who to tell us why we're all wrong uh, from Freeze Stats, the man himself, Max Freeze. Thank you for joining us on the show. Oh, thanks so much, Matt. I'm looking forward to talking to you guys about shortstops, fantasy baseball, the deepest position uh, in fantasy, in my opinion. So uh, yeah, I'm ready to to get going and and argue with uh, some of your rankings. <laughs> I know I give you a sneak peek and I know one of them in particular, I know for yes. a fact you're, you're freaking out about, um, yeah, shortstop is like the most kick-ass position there is. We just went over second base, which is pretty awesome in itself, but yeah, shortstop's its own thing. So you picked a good show to come on. Uh, so for everyone who's in case you're joining us for, this is your first positional breakdown on turn two. We, uh, we use NF, uh, NFBC draft champions, ADP, all the ADP is different. Not that you should use ADP. I don't know. You know, we can go through our how we feel about it. I hate ADP. I hate rankings. I hate all of it. I'm just about roster uh, construction. But as a guide, we're going to use that uh, for anyone who wants to use as a reference. And I kind of give out my tiers as we go, and then everyone can rip them apart. So uh, starting right at the top, um, my tier one for shortstops is just a two-man tier. And it kind of goes along with um, how most ADP goes. Uh, but I just have... Two men, Francisco Lindor and Trevor Story, in their own tier by themselves. Not to say that maybe they're too much ahead of anybody, but I believe that those two by themselves should be going one, two, in my opinion, at all times. Um, starting with you, Max, is, do you have any disagreement? Even if you think maybe the tier should be bigger, do you feel that those are the top two? Uh, I do feel that those are top are the top two. Um, I do feel that the tier is bigger, but we won't get into that yet. Um, I, I think they're pretty interchangeable too, because, uh, they're both going to be five category contributors. Um, they've got a ton of power speed. Uh, they should be batting atop the lineups. Uh, and so, you know, I just don't think there's any weakness. They have a track record, especially Lindor. He's about three or three years in, um, with his power boost. And 
stories now two years in with with really consistent numbers. I don't think he's a, as big of a batting average average risk as his strikeout rate may indicate. Coors Field is is obviously uh, plays a part in that, but but I don't see any reason that that those two aren't number one, number two. Sam, you are you're a Cardinals fan, but you're from the Colorado area. That's where you came from, so you're also a Rockies fan. If Arenado were to be traded ironically, possibly to the Cardinals, maybe. Um, would that change your view on Trevor's story at all? Uh, because there's some differing opinions on this. I wouldn't really care either way because it's still he still get tons of at-bats at Coors Field. But if Arenado were to leave town, would that adjust your value of Trevor's story at all? I, I personally, no. Um, I believe he batted in the four-hole last year um, more than anything. So he didn't get the protection that – Arnado got with story. So I don't, I mean, he still put up 35 home runs, 111 RBIs as the four hole in there without much protection behind him. So yeah, it doesn't change anything for me. Okay. And bring in Andy here and I'll introduce my tier two here to, to swing it your way to get your thoughts on the top tier. Also my tier two is a one man tier and that's Alex Bregman. I, um, I think you could easily put him in tier one, but I feel those other two guys are kind of, I think that I'm definitely going with one or two. And I kind of have Bregman in his own tier by himself. I'm leaving an obvious person out. His name is Trey Turner. We'll talk about him in a second. Who's actually, he's second in ADP on NFBC. It's Lindor, Turner, Story, then Bregman. So of the top three, and then including Turner himself, how would you have uh, those those guys shake out? I think one or two are clear and obvious with Lindor and Story, as you guys mentioned. Uh, I mean, you could argue finer points of each of them, but Story's backing up this average the last couple of years, being 290. Lindor's, you know, to me, an MVP caliber kind of player. So I'm happy with either. I think if, you, if you're looking at those two, just go with your personal pick. I mean, it's just fantasy. Have fun at the end of the day as well. I don't think you're really hurting yourself by taking either of those two guys. Uh, as far as Bregman goes, Sam, this is your first time joining us, but I've gotten into some hot water this year to start things off because uh, I have not included guys like Bregman in my shortstop rankings. I know he's eligible there, but it just becomes so murky and messy uh, that, I, you know, to me, you could say Bregman is the number three overall shortstop. Sure. Uh, but, you know, to me, it's like I'm just looking at it saying, yeah, I'm looking at him more as a third baseman. So draft him as a shortstop if you want. You can't play him there, but I'm just not ranking him as that. Um, he's up there. He's great. He's just not going to give you the steals. All three of these guys are right in their wheelhouse. I preach the ad nauseum, the age 27, 32 window. Story's just entering his age 27 season this year. So what we've seen from him so far, there could be even another level of it. Lindor's just 26. I've always uh, said I, I likened him to take the torch from David Ortiz and just be the face of baseball. He seems to be that kind of caliber of player. Uh, you know, fans love him. His teammates love him. All players throughout the league love him. So I, I, you know, I look at that kind of stuff too, and I just think, you know, there's a wave that he's going to ride, and I think he's got a lot to prove. Cleveland talking about dumping him, uh, you know. So there's, there's there's things there. There's chips on shoulders, uh, but Trey Turner to me is is kind of somebody I, I, you know, you're paying for steals, and I think Max will get into it a little bit because uh, I, I believe he's somebody that doesn't really truly value or pay for steals, and I just. I, I like Turner. He's 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 a great player. I just feel like the name outweighs the game a little bit as far as production goes. So I feel like there's always a slight overpay. We're always waiting, waiting, waiting for this like elite type of player with Trey Turner. He's just a very good one. All right, Max, before I turn it over to for you to shred my opinion on this, I have Trey in my third tier. It's, I have it as a three-man tier with Kettle Marte, Trey Turner, and Xander Bogarts. 
not in any particular order. They're all lumped mm -hmm. together for me. These aren't traditional tiers like I'm taking anyone in particular order. Like I said, I do roster construction. This is why I have Trey separate. Um, I don't like to draft risk early. And you, uh, he goes in the first round, if not early second. And I just like to avoid risk early. For me, he has a ton of it. Um, people usually associate him with a lot of injury risk, even though if you look at his at-bats, you know, his production is always there year after year. So especially in Roto, um, it's not as risky as maybe you think in points league, it's a problem. The thing is also they're talking about him batting third, which, you know, if you look at all stats going from first batting lead off to third is horrible for your stolen bases. Jeff Zimmerman actually did a study on this, said it wasn't as big a deal, uh, but he was using stats of like people that are projected to steal over 30 bases that went from batting lead off to third. And that is really a small sample size. Usually if you're projected to steal 30 bases, you don't bat third. And also the last thing is, is play discipline, uh, swing and strike percentage, O swing, all going a horribly wrong direction. So again, he's great. And I wouldn't be shocked for him to uh, even be the number one shortstop at the end of the year, but just all those things added together. It's too many question marks for me at the top. So like, I love Trey. It's just too many question marks for a guy being drafted that early. Um, now you can tell me why I'm wrong, Max. <laughs> <laughs> no, you made some, some really valid points. And I agree. When you look at his plate appearance totals, you are kind of disappointed. He's, he's had injuries. There's no doubt, but it was a, a broken finger last year for a, you know, a stupid bunt attempt. You know, let's hope that stops especially if he gets moved to third in the order. Um, you brought up the move to third in the order. And, and as you said, with Jeff Zimmerman's piece, uh, it doesn't, it hasn't happened a lot. And I think with Turner's number one asset being speed, I don't think they're going to put the brakes on him just because he's in the, in the three hole. Uh, but what I'm really excited about with Turner is I think his improvement with his quality of contact. Um, if you bear with me for a second, he had an increase in heart rate of up to 41 and a half percent. Some of the guys around that range are Nick Castellanos, Gary Sanchez, and Max Kepler. Pretty good company. Uh, his exit velocity, his average exit velocity was 90.3 miles per hour last year. Some other guys in that range, Anthony Rendon, uh, Trey Mancini, Paul Goldschmidt. Um, you know, to me, he's taking the next step in his progression to add power. And if you look at his pace last year, he was on about a 25 homer pace. I don't think that's unreasonable to project uh, given a full season. And if he goes 25-40 with a good batting average, I think that validates uh, first-round pick. You know, I, that's, uh, real, real quick, just so yeah. you can elaborate on this while, you're, while you continue. That's the one thing I, I, I noticed, and I agree that I could definitely see that power taken off. Like I said, um, the way that his swinging strike and O-swing went down, you, that can be associated with an approach to mm. be more aggressive and a hit for more power. But do you have any concern that that will take away from batting average. I think assuming all of stolen bases, batting average and power together is probably a stretch. I would say he's probably going to make a trade-off somewhere. Yeah, no, you're right. He's probably not going to be a 300 hitter if that's the case, if he continues to make that trade-off. Um, but he's got great speed. He still hits a lot of line drives and ground balls, so he can, uh, you know, his infield hit percentage should be pretty high. Um, so maybe he doesn't hit 300, but, but I think he's a solid 275, 280 hitter um, with added power and that speed. So, you know, I am projecting for an improvement to a place he's never been, his home run production. So I get that, but I think I'm willing to pay for that given his his uh, stolen base floor. Yeah, hey, no, there's no doubt. Like I said, I think he he if he finished number one, I wouldn't it wouldn't shock me at all. If he's healthy for a full season and he puts it all together, it wouldn't shock. I don't think it would shock anybody in the room. Um, it's just, I guess, a matter of if you're willing to pay for that risk. Um, Alex Bregman. Well, first, what would you you said your your top tier? Would you include all four of those guys and 
uh, before we head back to Sam for his thoughts, because Bregman's an interesting guy. How do you feel about Alex Bregman? Any kind of, do you have any regrets taking him with all the ridiculous stuff going on with the Astros? I mean, I know it, we did a deep dive on the podcast about it. He was the one guy I wasn't worried about. It sounded like Andy wasn't worried about him either. Mm -hmm. So how do you like Bregman and how do you think he fits into this kind of top group of shortstops? Um, I'm a little bit lower on him. I have him fifth in my ranking. Um, and it, you know, pointing uh, to Andy's point about stolen bases, he's just not running anymore. And I just don't think that's a philosophy that they've had with the Astros. Um, they just don't want to risk it. And I think that we probably saw his ceiling in terms of power last year. I, you know, just looking at his metrics, I'm not sure how he did it. It just makes no sense. I know he pulls a ton of fly balls, but the numbers just don't add up. So, um, you know, if he's going to hit, you know, if he regresses to the low 30s for, in home runs, doesn't run, the run production will be there. The batting average will be there. I just don't know if that's a first-round pick or even a early to mid-second for me. As someone who believes in Bregman, I will say one thing that's a concern is his average home run distance. It's, I believe, one of the lowest – one of the lower ones in the league, right? Yes. If I'm not mistaken, I don't have that yeah, in front you, of me. So you're right. That is, that is a concern five, there. Yeah. Well, one of, one of the th misconceptions with Bregman as well, I think, though, is this whole you know garbage can scandal, and most of the data was from 2017. Last year, if you look, his home road splits, he was 315 on the road, where he's only a 278 header at home. So, uh, it, you know, even if you want to say they were buzzers or or garbage cans or whatever the case was, they're not traveling with them. So he's doing better at home. Maybe it might have even been a distraction, uh, if if you will. I mean, his percentages are just through the roof. I mean, when you look at the plate discipline and, and the walks of the strikeouts, uh, you know, he's doing this with a, a guy that you mentioned not stealing anymore. So he's not slow. He's not fleet of, you know, he's not, he's not slow footed and he's doing this with under 300 baby. So uh, this is, this is a guy who's getting it done and for, for, legit reasons and he's still not even in his his prime so when you say 41 homers you think is a ceiling i i'm shaking my head because uh if, if you're gonna hit 40 before you even you know approaching he's gonna be 26 in in march you're gonna be 40 before you even 27 i mean look at Solaire and, and the outburst that he put up last year i mean i think that's kind of what we could be looking at with bregman when if 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 there is another level which i think there is i will say one thing with Solaire. he's like I mean, he's the guy I put in my 2020 breakdowns today. I, I'm exaggerating, but not far off. He was top one percent in just about any metric as far as hitting the ball hard. So he's kind of he's kind of an animal, an animal on his own tier. Him, Fran Mill, and like um, Nelson Cruz all crushing the ball like no other. It's insane. Um, all right, uh, going on to. Um, the Hold guy on, you know you, you're skipping me now. No, I'm going to you next. Okay. I just want well, to I'm see. Gonna, I'm going to let me let me talk about Trey Turner real quick because I I actually agree here that um, I I think Trey Turner can kind of ramp it up to the next level here with power. Maybe sacrifice a little bit of speed, but um, I mean if you look at his launch angle, you saw a slight in increase in launch angle, slight increase in hard hit rate. Nothing like out of the ordinary in terms of increases. So that launch angle tells me, yeah, he's, he is trying to hit for more power, but e even if you do sacrifice a little bit of that um, stolen base uh, or his stolen bases, you're still talking about probably 25 plus stolen bases um, with Trey Turner. And if he, and it'll be difficult for him to repeat the last, well, maybe not difficult, but I mean, he, he's basically repeated the same power numbers and uh, RBI numbers over the last two seasons. So if you add, uh, let's just say 25 plus home runs, 100 art plus RBIs, 25 plus stolen bases, I mean, I, he, I think he belongs in that second tier as well. Um, 
and then I, I just want to ask a question here and, and maybe, maybe I'm a bit, a little bit naive here, especially with the Mookie Betts trade, but is Xander Bogarts, does he belong in that tier? Um, I, I, yes, because <laughs> I'll get to him. Though. Okay. Well, and, and, and maybe, maybe that's your transition there, Matt, but yeah, I mean, Xander Bogarts, he's been producing, uh, basically the same ISO numbers, the same uh, K percentage, the same BAPIP his entire career. And that equates to 20 plus home runs. I mean, you're probably looking at 25 plus home runs, 90 plus RBIs, um, 10 plus steals over the last uh, two seasons. And even really uh, over, over the last three of the last four seasons. And to me, he kind of belongs in this tier as well, where he's got those power numbers, um, he's going to be consistent while he may not reach the heights of a guy like Bregman in terms of power. He may add a little bit of stolen bases there as well. Hold on. You were saying, I thought at first you were opening with, you didn't think he belonged in the tier three where I put him. You're arguing he belongs in a tier. Of, uh, I'm a just, I, tier. I, it was, it was more a question of, I mean, do I, in terms of consistency, do we look at him um, in that tier as well, where maybe he doesn't have the stolen bases of Trey Turner, maybe he doesn't have the power of Alex Bregman, but he has some speed. He has that power where he can get 25 plus home runs, 100 plus RBIs. I don't think he belongs up there with the story Lindor Bregman because I think they have maybe a ceiling he doesn't have. I put him down there with Kettle Marte. Trey Turner and, and he's Xander Bogarts is the three man tier because one Trey is only in there because of risk. He has a ceiling. I think the others may not kettle Marte. A lot of people aren't in on this is the guy we all need to probably talk about next, but Xander Bogarts, I put in there because he does not have the ceiling Marte or Trey does everything. Marte did last year looks very repeatable. All of his expected stats are ridiculous. I mean, he batted like 320 something, but he had like a 299 expected batting average. Everything looked good. Uh, he was, you know, hit the ball harder, hit the ball uh, at a higher elevation. He was a uh, home run, uh, his uh, fly ball line drive, miles per hour. Everything was off the charts. Um, you look at him and Eduardo Escobar, his teammate, not so much for Escobar, but Marte, everything looks good. And I think that uh, you could even see another gear out of him, but it's not going to be, you know, last year is probably what, his career high is going to be, but I could see him kind of pushing the envelope. Xander Bogarts, I don't see much different happening than last year. He batted 309, 33 home runs, 110 runs, 117 RBIs. I mean, that's hard to project. No one really projects over 100 runs in RBIs. You'd be shocked. Like, there's always more people that finish with like 100 runs than there are projected because projections are kind of always a little bit conservative. But I think that that's what you expect. And that's why I have Xander here because I think he is other than like story and Lindor, he is probably the safest guy you can take because at least what I think what you're drafting, you're getting, I think he's just like incredibly safe. Um, going back to max, uh, is, and I, again, tier three, I have, uh, you know, obviously we know you want Trey a little higher Marte and Xander. Um, do you believe those two should be ranked this high? Is there anyone else that uh, you think I left out of here? Or what do you think of those two guys? Uh, I actually, I like both of those guys and I think they're, very close uh, overall in my rankings as well. Um, and I think for, for the points that you alluded to, I think Xander is very safe. I just don't see a power ceiling from him where he could potentially hit 40 home runs. I just, I don't see it. Um, I just, I mean, he is, he's very consistent. He, he doesn't strike out a ton. Uh, he plays, you know, in Boston that, that inflates Babbitt, which is great for his batting average. Um, losing bets could hurt a little bit, but I don't think, you know, if Verdugo, produces the way we 
I think he can. I think he's going to be a good batting average asset and an on-base machine. And I think hitting between uh, J.D. Martinez and Rafael Devers is is a really nice spot. So I think his run production probably doesn't reach last year's total, but I think expecting 100 runs and 100 RBIs isn't out of line. Um, and Cattell Marte, I, I love Cattell Marte. I, I loved him last year, and he really blew my expectations out of the water. I mean, he basically doubled his barrel rate. Um, he made tangible changes that you can see. Uh, launch angle was up over four degrees. Um, you know, I think it was actually six degrees. So, you know, he hit the ball extremely hard. He made that approach change and he didn't uh, make less contact. His strikeout rate remained very strong at 13.5%. Um, and that's the, the type of player that I love, a guy who can make a ton of contact, hit the ball hard, um, you know, without actually losing those those contact rates. And he's a guy that did that at age 25. So, you know, there's no reason to not expect a repeat. I don't know why the, the market's down on him. I don't, you know, overall, um, the market's not that far down on him. I think he's drafted around 41 or 42 overall, but I just hear some negative comments uh, about Marte. And I think he's, his metrics are repeatable and his season is repeatable. I, can I jump in here real quick? Just go back to the Xander thing. Uh, I, I think he's too often forgotten, but this also just speaks to how deep this position is because you're, you're getting a stud, uh, you know, within the top 10 to 15 of this position. Uh, Bogarts, you know, let's not forget, he came up with the class of Lindor and Addison Russell. Uh, he's kind of played second fiddle to Lindor just, you know, in terms of popularity, but he's been nothing short of consistent, spectacular. Uh, he kind of found the secret sauce. His first 20 home, uh, home run season, he got the launch angle up to double digits. He kind of retreated from that. The, the power numbers dipped. He went back. Uh, it was 12% and 13% the last two years. And that's where you see kind of the rise back into those, you know, 20 to 30 home run range. I don't don't think you need him to hit 40 home runs the only difference and the only thing keeping him uh you know i think i think he is a legit 300 hitter 30 homer 100 rbi 100 run guy the only thing keeping him from being any higher than he is at least in my list is that there's not going to be any speed from him there's not going to be any stolen bases now you, you switch over to Catal Marte. i love what arizona's doing i love bringing in starling Marte as well i think that they're going to be dynamic the top of the lineup uh th there's just a lot to like in arizona especially you know with the park humidor be damned um I, I always just considered Marte to be a high average speed kind of guy. So to see the power is really, really kind of shocking for me. And it has come at the cost of steals. I don't think he's going to be a 330 kind of hitter, but I wouldn't say it's out of his wheelhouse because he has been a you know, high contact, well-disciplined, uh, a good approach hitter. Uh, just took him, a, I, you know, I think they rushed him a little in Seattle, which is kind of why he lost favor there. But uh the power surge that we saw, I I can't buy into it. I think he's a nice player, but I think you know if people think you're going to see a repeat of last year, I think you're you're overpaying a little. Yeah, I agree. Uh, before I go go and uh, go back to Sam, the the first four guys we said are in a, going back to ADP: Lindor, Turner, Story, Bregman, all going in order. And then three more guys before Bogarts. Uh, was it Bregman's going right now? Fourteen point eight. Bogarts is going thirty eight. Uh, right at 17, Fernando Tatis Jr., 31, Gleyber Torres, 33.5, Al Delberto Mondesi. Um, in the tier after Marte, Trey, Xander, I have Gleyber Torres, Bo Bichette, Fernando uh, Tatis, and Javier Baez. Um, Al Delberto Mondesi does not belong in this tier. Does uh, Why don't we dig him right him, uh, in him right now? Does anyone think he belongs anywhere near where he's being drafted? I... 
think he probably should be drafted higher than he's being drafted. Oh, oh. <laughs> all right. <laughs> go, go ahead, you take, you take the floor. Um, the, I'll take only one point. And again, I keep plugging my own threads, but this guy swings at everything and he has one of the worst contact rates in baseball. And that's kind of all I really need to know about him. <laughs> and listen, that's fine. To me, I, I think he is a very comparable player to Trey Turner, not for, you know, comp to comp as far as, you know, plate discipline and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking just in the raw numbers that he's going to give you from a fantasy aspect in terms of speed, steals, average, run production, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so if you're going to look at Trey Turner as a guy that could possibly be number one at this position to get, you know, a slightly modified version of that, uh, you know, all the way down at seven. Uh, yeah, I think that's a bargain in, in just in comparison to where Trey Turner is being drafted. But, you know, I mean, I get taking him for that reason, but taking him that high, I mean, one going 33 again and like in front of a guy like Bogarts, or if you needed stolen bases uh, ahead of a guy like Jonathan Villar, you are confident that he can hit. I mean, he, he, this is a guy who could almost hit bad enough to not play it at certain points. Um, that'll never happen. Yeah. Um, who's, who's overtaking his role? Then? Well, no, cause I say, cause it's Kansas city. That'll probably never happen. And even though I think uh, he, he, his contact um, and his plate discipline is, are atrocious. I still have him projected to probably get around 15 home runs and 40 stolen bases. So I am with you there. Uh, it just seems like a lot of risk to be riding on a guy that they, that early. I, I, he's also very young. So, I, I mean, this is this kid we've been hearing about since he's 16 years old. You know, so it's to, to see him at just 24, uh, you know, and, and think that, okay, he's still putting it together. He's still figuring things out. And with all that, horrendousness that you speak of. I mean, less than a 5% walk rate, uh, just shy of a 30% K rate. Uh, the, the, you know, the baby 357, he's still hitting 263 despite all of that. I mean, this is like Joey Gallo with uh, speed and, and, you know, to get on base. Uh, and, and I'm obviously not comparing him to Gallo. But my point being is that you, you're going to get somebody that's going to be in a lineup every day. You're looking at somebody that's probably going to be 50, to 60 stolen bases if he's healthy for a full season. And if that's the case, he's going to get you 15 to 20 homers. So again, to me, it's, it's, a, it's a discount if you're playing the stolen base game and that's what you're looking for. Yeah. I, I think that's my issue um, that I feel like right now you're drafting him for stolen bases and I, and I get taking that risk. Um, if he does get that 15 to 20 home runs, gets that 50 plus stolen bases, he's definitely very, uh, he, he's very valuable, but I, I, maybe I just downplay stolen bases, especially guys that that's what they're centered around is stolen bases. The thing for me with Trey Turner is that you have a guy who's putting up 100 plus RBIs in back-to-back -back seasons, um, 19 I mean 19 plus home runs but looking at like 25 plus home runs as well and you can still get that 30 plus stolen bases but I mean it's a valid point like uh the value in 15 to 20 home runs and 50 stolen bases I mean that's extremely unique well hey think of it this way as well we're looking at the ADP for the draft champions leagues right so we're looking at that because these are perceived to be quote-unquote serious players if why is why is he still at 33 then? You know what I mean? If there's so much yeah. risk, why are so many people buying into that? 
Well, let's let's not forget that he's coming off a, a shoulder injury, a pretty devastating shoulder injury, and he's not a guarantee to start an opening day. So there is that question, but I agree with you. When he's on the field, nobody steals bases at a higher clip. So his production is just insane when he's healthy, and um, you know he has flashed a little bit of power in his you know parts of two seasons. So um, you know getting that fifteen to eighteen home runs and fifty steals is is definitely worth it at this pick. It's just the risk is much higher for me with Mondesi than it is with Turner. So Andy, like where he's going right now, you just said you you think he maybe be going. I mean, there's not too many guys to put him in front of. Uh, where would you consider taking him of the guys we've we've uh, talked about so far? It's just going by the ADP: Lindor, Turner, Story, Bregman, Tatis, Torres. Uh, where would you consider taking him there? Yeah, so my initial rankings that didn't include Bregman, uh, he's up at five and right after Trey Turner and uh, ahead of Glaber, ahead of Xander, ahead of Tatis. I'm going to have to make some some updates and switches to this because I feel like the longer we go, the, just the, the, the more sour I am on Tatis, and that's really just being age, discrimin- you know, age discrimination here. Um, but I, I – don't see – I'm looking at pure upside with Mondesi is what it comes down to. And, um, you know, you got to take some risks and some gambles. Uh, you know, he's a league winner um, just for – even if it's just that one category, he's a league winner. He's so, he's basically – I mean, people – we're not drafting Billy Hamilton inside, but people – Billy Hamilton was relevant despite everything just for one category. Mondesi is – a better player. He gives you more. He's not going to hurt you. It, it, he's not going to kill you in other categories and he's going to win you one all by himself. That is true. Uh, he's definitely not Billy Hamilton. I definitely hope that no one thinks that uh, going into Fernando Tatis, who's going much higher than him on the, uh, I do have him in this tier because there's, there's no doubting what his ceiling could possibly be. I mean, we saw what he did in the very limited time. I mean, there's no way that if he played the entire year, he was going to win that rookie of the year over Pete Alonzo. I have no doubt. Uh, he was just doing things that a lot of rookies just don't do. But again, every single metric in the world is saying that he could be seeing like a thousand years of struggles in 2020. Um, where are you comfortable taking him? Again, you, you tried to make the point that, you know, we're using this ADP of experts and, you know, not even experts. These are people that – these are high-stakes players, players that really, you know, play and, and play all the numbers, and they are very confident in the choices they're making. He's going 17 uh, right after Bregman. And, I mean, that's a lot of confidence in someone that uh, didn't have a lot of time up there. And he's playing in a, you know, he's hitting – he's, he's, he's in a pitcher's park, in a pitcher's division – I don't know. What does everyone kind of think of Tatis here? Uh, starting with you, Max. Yeah, I I kind of like Tatis. Um, I know the expected metrics are calling for a significant regression. He's not going to have a 400 BABIP. I think we know that. But I think he profiles as a guy that can carry a high BABIP um, throughout his career. He's got extremely fast foot speed. Um, he hits a lot of line drives, a lot of ground balls. Um, and I think that he is still just 21 years old. And I think there's a lot of room for growth potential in his power. Um, and he's even shown us that he does have 30 homer power if you prorate that. And I don't like to prorate, and I'm not going to prorate his his power, but he definitely has 30-30 upside as of this year. And, you know, if it comes without a batting average risk, and I know we were just talking about Mondesi, uh, he doesn't have – I think he's got a higher batting average floor than Mondesi and obviously a much, much higher ceiling. 
So um, if he's a, if he could potentially go 30, 30 um, with a decent batting average, I, you know, how long can you wait before you take a guy like that? I, I think, you know, everyone's very excited about him. I just, uh, you know, I think the hype's gotten a little too high. I wouldn't take him at his ADP, um, but right around 20 to 25 is where I'd probably have him. 2025 in points leagues. I was in one for CBS the other day. I think he lasted until about, I don't know when I drafted him. Um, I maybe 70 is where he lasted in that one, but obviously that is a completely different animal. Uh, the issue here with him for me, I mean, you already mentioned the BABIP. It's it's a lazy argument at certain points, but obviously the 410 is not going to happen. But he batted 317. You're still, if you're hoping for that 25-25 season and he bats 260-270, who cares, right? Um, but I'm not sure you're getting those home runs necessarily because, I mean, he's his 31.9 home run to fly ball, sure, he's, he's pulling the ball and he's elevating it. Uh, he's hitting the ball hard. Everything that you would look to expect from someone who was going to carry a high home run to fly ball ratio. You know, people live in that area all the time. But, you know, he has a really high ground ball rate. And uh, I think that, you know, he's very likely to have a ton of growing pains. It just seems like that's especially at 17. That is just a little too early. But again, I already said I'm very risk averse. And for anyone I'm taking in the first three rounds that has the ability to have Again, just 2020. We're not talking dynasty. And dynasty, it's a totally different question. But it's just his his variance of uh, projections just seems to be too far off. Sam, what do you what do you think of Tatis? Um, I I think I agree in turn, and you and I I think are are on the same wavelength in terms of risk adversity early. Um, but I mean, just looking at this ADP. I mean, I'm taking I and I apparently have shown my hand with how much I like Bogarts, but um, I would take uh, Xander Bogarts above him. I would take Xavier uh, Javier Baez above him probably. Um, I, I we can talk about this later, but I, I really like Corey Seager this year. But we, we can talk about that in a bit. But yeah, I, I think his ceiling is a is there, but he he is going uh, he is going to regress. I mean, 272 is his highest ISO in his career, including the minors. I mean, we've seen him hit over 220 twice in his career in the minors. Um, he does hit a lot of ground balls. So I, I mean, 25 plus home runs, I, I think is in the realm of possibility, but like Matt said, it is a pitcher's park. So if he can hit line drives there, great, but I just don't know if the power is going to be there and I mean, I would drop him because he's going as the shortstop five at this point, according to NFBC ADP. I, I'd probably drop him to like the tenth, around the tenth uh, shortstop off the board, just because I just don't know. I, I how many? I mean, he hit twenty-two home runs in eighty-four games, and I just don't think that power is going to be there this year. All right, so we'll kind of move. Well, yeah, can I can I just jump on Tatis for a moment? Because uh, just yeah. add a, a couple little more. It's not the pedigree is there. This this was what was more impressive to me than anything was that he skipped Triple A, made the jump from Double A. Not that that doesn't happen. Just the fact that he was not slowed down and actually got better. Uh, you talk about the home park being Petco. He was equal. His home road splits were equal down the middle. He he was not affected by power. He had 10 home runs in 42 games at home, 12 and 42 games on the road. The average was better at home at 323 as opposed to 312 on the road. So I think he could take advantage of Petco, you know, the, the confines there and, and, and use that speed to his advantage. Uh, it's just, it simply comes down to 
you're you're paying for the excitement is really what it comes down to more than anything. You're not paying for anything that's actually been proven over the course of a full season. That's kind of a mistake a lot of people made with Vlad Guerrero Jr. last year, thinking that he was just going to come in from day one and just you know rock the house and hit 40 home home runs because you know this is everybody's already putting him into Cooperstown. Um, Tatis is going to get there. He's not there yet though, so I, I don't want to overpay for the excitement. Uh, before it happens, I'd much rather take a bargain. And as Sam was saying, you know, give me Bogarts. Uh, you know, I'd be perfectly fine with him. It's much more boring, of course, but there's some safety there. Anyone who follows me knows my favorite strategy is death by a thousand paper cuts. Give me all the boring guys. I will take I will take guys like uh, Xander Bogarts and Austin Meadows, and I will just jab you to death until your nose is broken. But Austin um, Meadows is still exciting. Yeah, he's sexy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, he says he's that. You know what the thing with him is? He's good at everything. He's not great at anything. So people will look at it if they're trying to look for someone like the people around him. They'll look at, all right, he's not going to give me elite home runs, elite batting average, elite stolen bases. But no, he's just, he just kind of really good at all of them, which, yeah, Austin Meadows is awesome. Uh, other guys in this tier will kind of move along now that we've gotten out of kind of the controversial and exciting guys. Um, the other guys I have in this tier are Glaber Torres and Baez that we haven't talked about and Bo Bichette. We'll get to him last. Uh, Max, I know you have an opinion on both Glaber Torres and Javier Baez for completely separate reasons. So tell us a little bit about these guys and how you feel. I guess one kind of does and one guy doesn't belong. Yeah, um, I really like Baez this year and I'm not as into Glaber Torres. Um, I just don't know why Baez was going as basically an early second round pick last year. And now he's slipped well into the third or even the fourth round in some cases. I don't think much has changed. He dealt with a, a heel injury in the second half. It hampered some of his power, his production, his speed. Uh, still ended up with 29 home runs and 11 steals with over a 280 batting average. Um, I was taking a look at some guys who over the last two years have had at least a 280 batting average and combined 60 home runs and 25 steals. Every single one of them is drafted in the first round this year except for Javi Baez. I don't know why he's getting a massive discount. I don't see any reason. Other, I mean, his his approach is the same. He's always extremely aggressive, but he hits the ball very hard. He looks like another lock for 30 home runs and double-digit steals, hitting third in the Cubs lineup, so his run production should be just fine. Uh, I think he belongs in a tier above, and if I can't get one of those uh, top-tier guys, I'm definitely drafting uh, Javi late in the second round. I've talked to a lot of people about Javier Baez, and I actually have an answer to your question of why he's going where he's going. And there's two answers, at least from what I can tell. They're the people from last year, and I admit I was one of them, um, that batted ball profile is ugly. If there's any reason to believe in Mondesi and how you can survive mm. in that, it's this This is it. I mean, he does it year after year after year. It's, like, it's, it's amazing how horrible he is <laughs> at actual plate discipline, and he continues to produce. Um, so there's the people that are just never going to believe in him. And th that's a group of people and the people who owned him last year who didn't really pay attention. You said he had those injury concerns. It kind of sapped. You see those 11 home 11 stolen bases. And it seems like a huge letdown because if you drafted him in the second round, you're expecting him to be this like, you know, <laughs> you know, 330 30 guy. I don't know what you were expecting again in the second round. He gives you those 11 stolen bases. He had 21 the year before 
But after, before that, I mean, he gave you 10 a year, 12 a year, 11 a year is pretty much what he usually does. The 21 was a, an outlier. So it, a lot of people felt really left down, let down on a Cubs team that didn't produce as many runs as possible. So I think you have the people that will never believe in Baez no matter what he does, and the people who bought him last year are down because they feel that they let him down. So it's like a sour taste. So thus yeah. value. <laughs> yeah, no, to, to be fair, in previous seasons, 2016, 2017, um, he was not a full-time player. Uh, mm-hmm. Joe Madden played games with him and he was um, moved around a lot. So his numbers, especially stolen base numbers and, and power numbers aren't going to quite match up with what he's done the last couple of years. Um, so that may be part of the reason why he, his, his numbers were down a little bit those seasons. I'm hundred percent on board with everything you said. I'm big on bias. I'm, I'm big on the bias train this year. I'm down on Glaber and that's coming from a Yankee fan. It's not that I'm down on Glaber. It's just, it, again, it just speaks to the depth at this position. He's a great player. He's just not up to the, to the level of uh, across the board production that some of these other guys are giving you Bias being one of them. I mean, this isn't an MVP runner up. This is that kind of talent. Um, he, he has survived as Matt said with this uh, horrific, you, you know, uh, plate discipline approach uh, uh, with the, the high K and low walk rate, but it, it, it works for him. He, he knows what he's doing. He puts balls in play. Uh, so it's I'm, – I'm big on him having a rebound this year, a, a resurgence, and for him to be falling, you know, falling 40th overalls, falling for this type of a talent. All right. The, uh, the other guy left in here in my tier is Bo Bichette. I'm going to toss this to Sam to get his thoughts on a very exciting guy. Does anyone – not on board with Bo Bichette as far as me throwing him in this tier. I know we already talked about the young guys on uh, how we were kind of excited about Mondesi and Tatis. How about Bo Bichette? Does, and is anyone opposed to a, a big kind of, we'll call it breakout year um, from him coming up? I, I'm not seeing a big breakout year. No. Again, I'm going to toss this right over to Sam. I, uh, as a lead in, I project that this guy can hit like 280, and I think 25 25 is totally within the realm of possibility. I'm, that's not really conservative, um, but it's definitely not his ceiling either. But I think that is something that's totally doable. Uh, go ahead, take it, Sam. Well, I, so I, I just want to comment on Baez real quick because you and I last year, when we talked about Baez, we were both down on him because he took a, such a big leap uh, from his career to 2018. And then last year, I mean, he basically repeated everything that he did in 2018, like almost to the number repeated it. And, you know, what's kind of funny is uh, his his uh, launch angle actually dropped a little bit. Uh, so he went from 9.2 degrees to 7.6 degrees. So that's a little bit funny considering that he maintained that ISO and those home runs. But um, now I'm on board with Baez. When you start to repeat numbers like that, I'm I'm all for that. So I, I do really like Baez this year. I still um, have no idea how he does it with the plate discipline, but he's done right. it for many years. I'm, it's beyond question. Now. Well, and and his and his home run to fly ball ratio is like 25. percent And and like you said, looking at his batted ball profile, just his hard hit percentage is well below 40. percent So it's just it's really hard to understand. But he he repeated it in back to back years. In, Something science can't explain in over 1,000 at bats. So, um, but yeah, with Bo Bichette, the concern for me is that. He didn't really show that power in in the minors. I mean, that ISO jumped nearly seventy points from AAA, um, and and his home run to to fly ball ratio uh, jumped five uh, percent. And I just 
he is, the, he is insanely young. I think people forget there's people that are young. He's 21 years yeah, old. And granted, and and but it's it's just one of those things where when you when you you and I talk about uh being risk averse, it's based off of like one year numbers, and it's not even that many. I mean, it's 212 plate appearances where it's like he put up a 260 ISO, uh, a 368 BAPIP. Um and we just didn't see these type of numbers from him in in the minors. So that's my major concern is that ISO is going to go down. But I mean, when you only when you had 11 home runs in 46 games, 20 to 25 in a full season is not a uh, not out of reach at all. It's very much within the realm of possibility. The issue is that um, is that good enough to be ranked in this tier and 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 have that breakout? I don't I don't consider that a breakout if if that's what we're going to call it. Max, do you have any thoughts on him before we kind of move on? Just because, yeah. again, they, in AAA, he, he he was a different player in AAA. Again, he was only 20 years old at the time. He hit eight home runs, 15 stolen bases, only 244 plate appearances. He came up to the Blue Jays and repeated that. The only fluke I saw was just the little bit higher bat. Uh, that'll just bring down his batting average, but that was kind of the only thing that stood out to me. Yeah, I like his batted ball profile, but I, my concern is with his stolen bases. I just don't know if I would expect 20 to 25 steals from him, um, just given – uh, the amount of steals that that guys see or that that decrease that come from the minors to the majors. I, I just don't see players being as aggressive, teams being as aggressive. So I don't know if I see twenty to twenty five steals from him, but I do see him being a solid player. I mean that's true. If you extrapolate what he did last year, which people like to do in a positive way, that only gives him what sixteen or so. Um, so I could definitely see that, and that's something that you know definitely people could keep their uh, eye on. Uh, the next tier going in is of a. a Big group. This is where I have Mondesi, which I think I've been voted down unanimously where he should be here. I have uh, Jonathan Villar, Manny Machado, uh, Carlos Correa, and the batting champion, the most disrespected man on the planet, <laughs> Tim Anderson. Uh, Andy, is there anything that uh, any of these guys stick out to you? Yeah, I mean, and this is why I can't have Pachette in the tier above, just because he's too unproven and, and, and still too inexperienced to think that I, I would put stock into it. When you talk about guys like Machado and Correa, um, you have Mondesi in this tier, who I, I already spoke about. The tier below this, we have Corey Seager. Uh, I mean, this this is just such a loaded position that it, 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 I hate to keep saying it, but it's the truth. Uh, Correa uh, worries me because obviously of the the back injury uh, and and just some of the injuries he's had in nature just don't you know they're not they're not good injuries and uh, stuff that could linger and, and just crop up at any time. Um, you know, when it comes to Machado. How much are we going to make of the ballpark when we just talked about, you know, not really affecting Tatis as bad? I mean, Manny Machado is just 27 years old. That That is bizarre. You know, this is a year in and year out, 30 home run guy. Uh, you you got to figure, you know, the average is going to improve from where it was last year in the 250s. Uh, it, it just doesn't make sense that it, it was that low considering what he's been in the past. So, um I do think it's a combination, maybe not as much. He did bad because he's in San Diego, but he went to San Diego from Camden Yards. So I think, I think leaving Camden Yards is a bigger deal than him going to San Diego, but go ahead, like going forward, like just to add in. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. And it's just, it's just crazy to think that he's gone. Um, you know, you look at him, he's going 70th overall and, uh, Behind guys like Bichette, behind guys like batting champion Tim Anderson, these are all young guys too. These are all guys in their prime. So 
I'm I'm happy with any of these guys. It's just like, what is the rush? Is is really the sentiment I have most with this position? What is the rush? Well, I, I guess you got to plant your flag somewhere if you're willing to go on um, on ceiling. Uh, you guys are very willing to go there early with Turner. He's obviously proven it also, so the risk is less. He has different, you know, and he also has the injury concerns. Tatis, Montesi all have risk. Bichette, I just, I, I like the reason I actually threw him in that previous tier is because he's going much later, and I feel that his ceiling is actually. Uh, much higher than where he's going. Where as Machado has that weird, that weird risk of we're not exactly sure what to expect from him being in that ballpark from what we saw last year. I definitely agree with everything you said though. From where he's going, he seems like a solid investment. Correa, the projections on Correa, I don't get at all. I mean, I feel like this is another reason I don't like projections at all. I mean, every single popular one has him down for, I think, an amount of, of at bats he's like never had in his career. They all here we go. Uh, ATC and steamer have him for 506 and 554 at bats his career highs 422 in 2017 last year 280 year before 402 how can you really draft i'm sorry he had 577 in 2016 so um but seriously though i it's it seems very difficult to um to kind of give that to him um i mean max what do you what do you make a correa because i know he's going late and the the risk is kind of baked into his price but i mean they're projecting him to hit like 275 with 35 home runs that seems crazy <laughs> right and i think um you know the the metrics back up that projection um because when he's healthy he does produce he does play well um but i just i have no idea how he's going to hit 600 plus plate appearances when he just Hasn't done it since 2016. Um, he's still a young guy. He's 25 years old. It's pretty amazing. Uh, when he came into the league, I mean, he was, you know, he was like the the Fernando Tatis of his time. But like, I, I just don't understand uh, the projections. And I think this ADP kind of reflects that the market agrees that that projection is is cut out of whack. Um, so, you know, I, for me, given the depth of the position, I wouldn't be drafting. Correa as my starting shortstop just because number one the depth of the position is crazy as Andy's been been mentioning but I'm not confident in him playing a full season so I'm staying away from Correa um it'd have to be basically a middle infielder for me all right so we're saying like wait on the position um where do you guys put that line where and this was a question someone had asked the the show on Twitter where is that line um that you would draw where you are very happy with your starting shortstop let's say it's you know 12 team league you got to fill a middle infield spot too where is that line where you're like all right now i really got to consider um grabbing a guy i said i got tim anderson in this tier my next tier is Corey seager uh marcus simeon lords guriel jorge polanco ahmed rosario and elvis andrus um is that kind of where you draw the where most of the guys would draw the line of where you'd want your guy or does it go deeper than that I think you're right in the range of where you want to draw your line and, and feel comfortable. Like I definitely have one of these guys, uh, but there's so many guys behind this line as well that I think you want to kind of roster. I, I mean, when you look at Corey Seager going 18 and to think how young he is and, and how much w was expected out of him. And now this, you know, maybe one for the ages lineup that LA is putting together. Would anybody be surprised if he, if you know he just put together a monster season? I, I don't think we'd be shocked by that either. So to get a guy like that at the end, I'm not saying I want to bank on that being the starter, uh, but yeah, scoop him up. Um, so that line is somewhere of of comfort is somewhere in that 
12 to 15 range. Um, but the position goes much deeper with, you know, not a steep drop off. How about Sam? Where where would you put that? And you can talk about. I mean, everyone knows I love Seager. I must have like thirty bets out on him having a good year. But there's obviously always the injury risk with him. But I know Sam. You said you loved him, so go ahead and and tell us the tale of why Corey Seager is fantastic. Well, right. I mean, so Corey Seager, like like Andy said, is going eighteen according to NFBC uh, among shortstops. And I mean, you're talking about a guy who when he was healthy, 2015, 2016, 2017 was hitting 200 ISO. Um, his Woba was like 350, even 400 at times. Um, his weighted runs created plus was like 150 as well. When he's healthy and he, he also battled injuries last season, but he, he had that injury in 2018 that derailed everything. When he's healthy, he puts up numbers. I mean, even last year is 211 ISO 303 BAPIP. Um, usually his bat pips around 350 as well. So I, I just feel like he was also uh, hampered by injuries last year. He had a hamstring issue. Um, I believe he had a wrist yeah. issue. He was coming off Tommy John surgery. Yeah, that's right. So, um, I mean, uh, Andy Andy also mentioned that that lineup is is huge. So he's going to have protection all over the place. Um, so I'm, when I'm, exci- I'm excited yeah. for totally different reasons to you, ironically. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. But I mean, the, the fact remains is in, in 134 games last season, he hit, he had 19 home runs, 87 RBIs. Uh, he, his, his strength was back. His ISO was back. Uh, he had a little, he had a dip in BAPIP. Um, his uh, batted ball profile um, was back a little bit as well. Um, and his home run to fly ball ratio was down. So I, I just, even if his n- numbers are only those 19 home runs, 87 RBIs over 134 games, I mean, you can project him at probably 25 home runs, 90 RBIs. And when you're getting him as the 18th shortstop off the board, that's perfect for me. I mean, I'm, I'm very happy with him as a starter there. People hate when you project from a certain date, but after May 1st, he was on pace to hit 30 home runs, 120 RBIs. You can erase some of the early stuff because of the injuries. They were bad. The batting average was down a little bit. The power is a little up. People are trying to worry that his batting average is maybe just always going to be down. Um, And you look at the overall numbers and it paints kind of an odd picture and you add in the injury risk and people are scared off. The the Dodgers uh, hired uh, Robert Von Skoyak, which I probably brutalized that name. He is the guy who turned around J.D. Martinez. And that is the guy who started the launch angle revolution. His launch, uh, he improved intentionally. Again, all this is intentional intentionally improved uh, Corey Seager's launch angle from about 10.2 to 14.1, which increased his fly ball rate from 29 to 39. Everything went up. Uh, he started pulling the ball more. He started um, crush, just crushing the ball. The barrels went up, everything. And he sacrificed batting average a little bit to do it. But he actually um, kind of got better as the season went on. So not only do I expect that power to kind of keep up with his new approach, he's like a really smart hitter. And again, very young still people are, he's been around for so long that people forget how young he is. I think he has a very good chance to get his batting average back. He had a 303 Babbitt, which again, hitting the ball in the air more, it's going to change the way it was, but his career average is, I don't know, he hit 355 in 2016 when he was almost like MVP. Um, so yeah, I think that, you know, you always are going to have injury risk with Corey Seager, but there's a chance for him to become like Freddie Freeman. Um, you know, like 
I'm not saying that's going to happen, but he could definitely get the batting average he used to have and the power he found last year. And for where he's going in drafts, that's just insane. I, I'm not projecting this or predicting this, but just as a as devil's advocate, what if he is much more like his brother than we want to believe? And this okay, is say, don't you put that in the universe? Just who Corey Seager is. <laughs> I think Kyle puts the ball in the air a lot more, though, doesn't he? Although, if if he the trend upper, is true, the upper, he pops the ball up a lot more. <laughs> yes. Okay, listen, let's, uh, Kyle's fly ball rate over like the past five years, like 40. 40. 42, 51.6, 44.6, 43.8. So that's, that's sad. <laughs> I mean, for a guy who hits the ball in the air. Right. Yeah. Um, so Max, uh, going back to the original question uh, of all those guys, where is your line? Uh, where, where your comfort beat level? Because a lot of people turning into the show, they kind of want to know, like, there's all these guys we talked about early and you kind of can pick your poison and it all, it is all about team construction of where you want to go, whether you're going to be balanced, going for power, going for speed, uh, and if, you know, whether you're risk or not, uh, but where's that line where you're comfortable grabbing your starting shortstop? Yeah, well, first I think you guys sold me on Corey Seager. I think I got to move him up my my ranks a little bit. I mean, I th- I mean everything that you said, I got to believe in, and and I don't see a, a fifty pick difference between him and Correa. So I'm moving him up. But um, I, have, I have a whole thing on uh, I put a whole thing on Fantasy Pros about him where I spewed the love. So I'll I'll go. put it in the show notes for anyone interested. I have a lot of data on him. I'll just I'll plug it underneath of the show uh, post on Twitter. Yeah. So for me, I think uh, it's Ahmed Rosario is is that line. Um, I think another young, talented player that's kind of taken his lumps early on, but he was he was young for his age. Uh, but he's shown improvement at every uh, every year. Uh, his batting average was fantastic last year, and the expected stats backed it up. I think his ex batting average was like two ninety one. Um, he's showing improvements in, in power. He's showing improvements in batting average, contact, and you know he's a guy that doesn't look all that different. To, to me than Tim Anderson uh, and Tim Anderson's going 35 to 40 picks ahead of him. So um, if you want that speed and you missed out on the top tier of shortstops, I wouldn't feel that bad waiting and grabbing Rosario and, and he's got a little bit of power speed and can contribute in batting average as well. I am concerned about where he's hitting in the lineup with the Mets, but I think he's, if he continues to improve, I think the, the only thing that is left for him to do is move up in that lineup and, and start producing. I, I got to ask you this though. And I go back with Rosario a ways. He from his Coney Island days with the Brooklyn Cyclones. And uh, I was getting season tickets to go check him out and Marcus Molina, who unfortunately blew his arm out. But uh, the power was always supposed to be there. He's wiry strong was always the, the you know, kind of the thing. And it, it just kind of started to surface this year. Uh, the speed is there. It's nice. Uh, you know, it's it's better than average. You know, if he, if he's going to be in the twenty plus range, uh, the average certainly came around this year as well. But are you really comfortable? You said that's where you're drawing the line. Uh, I'm just, I'm trying to figure out what side of the line are you on, where he's the last guy you're comfortable with as your starting shortstop, or you want to be above him. Uh, he's the last guy I'm comfortable with. I'd be willing to to take a shot on him as my starting shortstop because. He will provide that power speed combo, even if it's not elite. And he is going to provide some batting average, in my opinion. So I think being that three category contributor is is worthwhile at this spot and with how late he's going. And also he's like, I mean, his plate discipline on a guy like a guy like 
Tim Anderson, who's not really learning his lesson, uh, who I still like, by the way, uh, swing and strike percentage, uh, contact percentage, O-swing, all improving the last three years for Rosario all the way through. And in the second half last year, he really started to uh, be a little more, a little smarter in his actual pitch selection, which is kind of where a lot of that, uh, a lot of that growth came from. In this first half, he batted 260 with a 300 Woba. Second half, 319 with a 340. Strikeout percentage went from 22.2 to 15.1. A lot of people, like a lot of the Mets blogs, like Mets Marais, they all want to, they're all trying to dump on him for his batting average um, because of his, uh, his Babbitt. But I mean, he has elite sprint speed, which hasn't really shown up completely in his year end um stolen base totals but if you look at the burst where he's done really well i I think he has untapped potential in batting average power and speed because right now he still has kind of a low fly ball rate and he's hitting a lot of grounders which there's nothing that i see that would necessarily lead me to believe that that's definitely going to change overnight but he's really young still and if he's going to improve in all those other areas i just think that uh, there's just uh there's just kind of growth you know growth ceiling there's some things you can prove and look at metrically that make sense and then there's some things where a player just gets better he was the number one shortstop prospect for a reason and um, not only am i happy to have him as my starter i'd have him kind of i'd be happy to kind of I'd, you know, I'd be excited to have him as my my starter but again I am a Mets fan, but I'm usually pretty hard on most of the guys. But I love, I do like Ahmed Rosario. Well, and I, I think his batted ball distribution is pretty good too. He hits the ball at the middle quite a bit. He doesn't have an overly high pull rate, so he's not susceptible to the shift. Um, so I think he is a guy that that should carry some some high batting averages. He does need to improve that launch angle, I think, a little bit if he does want to hit for more power. Yeah. Um, anyone want to hop on uh, the co MVP Marcus Simeon? I uh, I refuse to go in on late, late age breakouts too often. I like, I don't want to be the first in the pool and overpay when a guy, especially when a guy was available for free the previous year. It's just, I don't know, a principal thing. So who, who, who believes in Marcus Simeon this year on it is walk year. So he has all the, all the motivation in the world. I believe in Simeon. I just don't believe in what we saw in 2019. Uh, I think he's always been a great player. I think he's always kind of been an undervalued player. And sometimes players just get in grooves, whether it be for a series, a week, a month, a year. Uh, and he just had a great season. But I don't think this is who he is. I don't think he you know, found some secret sauce or ingredient this past year. Uh, so I, I would you know, bank on regression from him uh, more so than you know, others at this. But that doesn't mean – even if he regressed back to what we saw in, in a typical year from him, it, it's not a horrible profile. So it, this is not a bad player. It's just I, I think uh, it's it's an over-exaggerated player if you're expecting what you saw in 2019. I think it was just a good season. Okay. Uh, what, do, what, do you, uh, what do you guys expect out of Simeon? I don't know, does that, is everyone kind of on board where you don't expect last year? Does anyone believe in it? The concern is like – the things that you would expect to change with like those power numbers, like his launch angle um, didn't change uh, his hard hit ball jumped uh, his uh, bat pip basically stayed the same throughout his career. It's just that he hit the ball 4% or, or sorry, he uh, barreled the ball 4% more. Uh, his, his hard hit rate jumped 9% and that, it, and his home run to fly ball ratio jumped um, 8% or or seven to 8%. So it's just one of those where it's like, I I agree with Andy, where it's just, it seems like an anomaly where 
like I said, his launch angle didn't change. I mean, his launch angle in 2018 was 15.3 degrees. 2019 was 14.7. So he just barreled the ball more and he hit the ball harder. So I, I do agree with Andy where it's like, he didn't change as a player. He just got probably a little bit more. I, I don't know if lucky is the right word here, but a little bit more lucky in terms of uh, his barrel percentage and his hard hit rate. Yeah. And he also had 740 plate appearances and that's yeah. probably <laughs> not, not going to be repeatable. And so I know it's uh, it sounds simple, but I just take about 10 or 15% off the top of what he did last year. Cause I think he's a very solid player, but it's just hard to expect him to repeat when he's never done it before. And, and saw basically a maximum amount of plate appearances. Uh, one guy before we kind of move on from this general area is Lords Guriel is one of the people I've been reaching like crazy for. I know I'm not the only one. Uh, I know Eric Cross uh, really loves him. I know there's a few other people that kind of planted their flag here, but um, you look, you're looking at the numbers of what he put up. It's, it's kind of easy to get excited, but people like to write it off because if you look at his like a, uh, you know, swinging strike percentage, he's actually worse last year. Um, there's certain things you can look at where um, there's not a lot um that really sticks out, but his contact uh, was actually uh, his, uh, I'm sorry, his patience was a lot better, um, which was the main thing. He was uh, maybe he looked like an overall better hitter the previous year based on what people usually look for. But if you look at how he increased uh, his barrel rates and you know, he did the typical increase your fly ball percentage and launch and you know, all that, you know, pretty stuff that everyone likes to do. Um, he was kind of waiting for his pitch, which made, went a long way. The, the previous years, he was just swinging at a lot more pitches outside of the strike zone. Uh, so even though all the rest of the numbers don't add up to it looking like growth, um, if you kind of look at his like, you know, called strike percentage and uh, the amount of swings he was taking uh, combined with like, you know, his barrels and uh, his actual like, you know, fly ball line drive uh, miles per hour. He was a different player. And if you kind of extrapolate out what he did uh, based on, you know, the home run fly ball ratio he has for his career, it looks like, like a Kettle Marte breakout could be coming. I it's a weird thing to say with all of the talent they have, Biggio, Bichette and um and vlad but what i saw at a, at a guriel he's done and i think it's very repeatable and i've seen it already whereas the other guys have growth to go he's obviously going against three people so it's it's silly to again what predict what i'm going to but it would not shock me if he ends up being the best of the best of the of the four this year because i think that he has already done it and i'm actually very confident he'll repeat it going into this season just you know I, I like a lot of what you said about him, especially, you know, with the with emerging and kind of in that potential breakout role. I just I don't know that he's even going to be available for people at a show. Well, I mean, if he's not <laughs> if he's not available in your league, then I'm sorry. Well, well, still an outfield again, the way we're talking about uh, shortstops, you'd probably want to play him in outfield anyway. Kind of earlier, we're saying Bregman. We're talking about him at shortstop this year. You're probably going on him at third anyway. So he's still one of those guys that I'm talking about anyway, but you're, you're going to want to probably plug him in the outfield regardless. But still, the, the point still holds true for Guriel. Is there anyone that um, as we're kind of winding down here, uh, there's that next tier of people I didn't really uh, mention. And there's a lot of people in here. Dansby Swanson, Newman, Paul DeJong, Carter Keboom, all the Phillies, Kingery, Didi, Segura, um, Willie Adamus. So I'll just kind of go around the table starting with uh, starting with uh, Mr. Freeze here. Uh, what are some of the guys you're really excited about you, you think the listeners ought to know? Um, yeah, I think Dansby Swanson's a guy that 
that the listeners should should take a look at for their deep leagues um, and for you know 15 team middle infield slot. He's going just inside of I think 270 uh, in NFBC drafts right now. 25th shortstop off the board. Um, this is a guy that uh, basically, in my opinion, broke out last year without actually having the surface numbers to show it. Um, his barrel rate more than doubled. He hit the ball harder. Uh, launch angle improved. Um, and he had an injury mid-season that really kind of just capped his production. Um, and so when he came back, he basically did absolutely nothing. So his his numbers don't look great, but he's a guy that has clearly taken a step forward. He's, he's going to be 26. Or I think he was 26. He'll be 27. So he's right in his prime uh, to take that next step. I think he's a, a sneaky play who could potentially hit 25 homers and steal 15 bases for you. And if he hits fifth behind those uh, monsters in the Atlanta Braves lineup, he could be in for quite a few RBIs as well. I, I, I feel like I'm defending Dan's response every year. This is going to be the year I'm not going to do it. I still love him. Uh, I mean, number one overall pick, uh, he's in a great lineup. They moved Ozzy Albies off a of short to second because they believed in Dansby and, and he's holding the fourth down. So uh, I, I, I'm always going to love the player. Uh, but one guy from the tier before that, I don't think it's talked up enough when you talk about, you know, potential for breakouts and that's Jorge Polanco. Uh, his fly rate is 13th. Uh, I'm mean, sorry. His launch angle is uh, 13th in, uh, in baseball. I mean, this is a guy who's, you know, looking to put a little lift in there. He got up to 20 homers last year. Uh, he's somebody that is in a – I have Minnesota as a Final Four team. I think they're kind of uh, underrated or underappreciated at this point when, when you start getting lost in the major cities and, you know, like especially the Dodgers and the news that they, you know, put on this past couple of days. Uh, but some other players just that, you know, just throwing some names out that I like. Uh, I, I think you got to – Keep an eye on Didi Gregorius. Uh, in this world of recency bias we live in, he's playing in a, a beautiful park for for him, for hitters. Uh, that's a, a revamp lineup. I think there's a lot to uh, buy into with, you know, just rallying around Bryce Harper and seeing what Washington did last year. And, and I, I like the, the depth of this lineup now. Uh, but one name also, I'm always going to tie Carter Keyboom and Gavin Lux to each other uh, just because they're kind of in that same class. I think do you got to pay. Um, do we think Carter's going to get the job at third? I know it, it wouldn't su- surprise me. I don't know who the favorite is now. I, well, I would bet money probably Cabrera opens there. Well, and that's what I was going to say. I think you got to keep tabs on Eric Thames because I don't think he's long for the first base role, which means you could see something where, like, as Dribble Cabrera moves across the diamond and plays first, uh, Castro stays at second and, and Keyboom slots in at, at third. So I would keep an eye on, on uh, Eric Thames. Tames, Tims, uh, Spawn, I used to call him. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, this, this, you got Scott Kingery down there in, in that role. Like, uh, you know, Willie Adamas, like you mentioned, like this, this is going to be Tampa's guy. Like, so there's just so much here. When, when, when uh, going back on DD, just, I, I won't say much on him. Just people forget one important thing too. He signed a prove it deal in a hitter's park because he was very comfortable with the manager, uh, his former manager, Joe Girardi. So there is a lot to like there as far as a, a bounce back, you know, value. No, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just wanted to no, I was, I, no, I was done. Okay. I was done. Uh, well, uh, I, 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 Sam, I know there's probably a couple guys, but uh, no one has talked about Paul DeJong, which I – Well, that was where I was going with the homer pick here. <laughs> um, 
for those not or not able to see us, but just listening to us, I have my Cardinals hat right there behind me. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, Paul DeJong had a good year last year, despite kind of having a down year, I suppose. I mean, 30 home runs, 97 runs, 78 RBIs. Uh, he had nine steals out of nowhere, which By the way, this, this is a, this is a, a guy that makes me want to never, this is the kind of thing that makes me never want to get Glaber Torres because guys like this are available for free. Right. And I, I guess the thing from the, the big indicator for me is his BAPIP was 260 when he averages like 300 throughout his career. I mean, he had a 350 BAPIP in um, 2017, uh, 2018, uh, even at a 288. So a 260 tells me that he is in for a regression in terms of, uh, or a positive regression in terms of luck there, because I mean, his hard hit, his hard hits or his batted ball profile doesn't, didn't change much. Um, his home run to fly ball ratio didn't change much. Um, a lot of things didn't change for Paul DeJong. He just got unlucky with that bat pip. Um, and so with that, and like Matt mentioned, he's going really late um right now he is the 21st shortstop off the shortstop off the board behind guys like um kevin newman uh um i mean ahmed rosario elvis andrus um so uh, like like matt said why go for a guy like glaber torres when you can get paul DeJong who has that power ceiling i mean he did hit 211 in terms of iso he had 247 in in 2017 so all of the numbers were there last year, except for that bat bit. That's and, also why I hate rankings and tiers. I said earlier in the show, they mean nothing to me. If you're, if you got to pay attention to what you need, if uh, there's a certain point where if you're very healthy and batting average and could use power, he could slide very well into your team. So you, you do got to pay attention to what the heck you're looking for. Um, two guys that we didn't talk about that. I know uh, Max has an opinion on um, most people around pick 200. If you could, if I told you, Hey, there's a shortstop that batted almost 310 with uh, you know, 12 home runs, 16 uh, stolen bases in less than 500 bats. Would that be something you'd be interested in? You probably would. But uh, but Max is not interested in Newman. <laughs> He's not interested no. in Kevin Newman at all. Uh, so tell us tell us why to stay away from the uh, the fool's gold on Pittsburgh, in your opinion. Well, he's he's kind of a an older breakout last year, and I don't know if I trust his skills. And and losing Starling Marte just doesn't help at all. I mean, that's a that's a big drop uh, for that team. And I mean, they're left with. Josh Bell, and that's about it. But um, his power, I, I don't believe in at all. He had, uh, I think, only nine or ten barrels. So he had those 12 home runs. He had fewer barrels than home runs, which is almost impossible to do. Um, but he did it, so he was definitely a beneficiary of the juice ball. Uh, I just don't anticipate that power showing up. His speed is fine, um, but it's not it's not overwhelming, and um, I, I don't expect him to hit over 300 again. His run production is is going to be be very low. RBIs from um, a leadoff spot in the NL uh, on a very bad team is is going to really hurt you. Um, and I don't expect him um, to get on base enough and with the production behind him to to score a ton of runs. So I just don't feel he's a an asset really uh, anywhere. And so you know that's that's someone that I'm just not believing in in that um, mini breakout, I guess if you want to call it. Uh, this this might make your might your point even more. This is worse. You said you don't really want him in a leadoff spot on a team like that. Most people don't even have him leading off. They have him being kind of buried down in the six or seven spot still with Adam Fraser leading Adam off, Frazier. which would be so much, which would be so much worse for Kevin Newman. 
Um, you know, so, you know, when you have guys like Colin Moran, uh, probably suck soaking up some double plays in front of you. It's, it's not the best place to live. Uh, Cole Tucker is still there as well. Yeah. Cole. T- yeah. <laughs> Name those pirates. Byron, you said earlier, I was like, uh, there's, that's all they had was Josh Bell. I'm like shots fired at Brian Reynolds. People really love that guy. I'm not one of them, but, uh, that'll be another show. Uh, but before we wrap things up, I know the last guy on our list, we said Willie Adamus, and it's, uh, I know a guy that uh, Andy mentioned a little bit, but uh, someone you wanted to get into as well. Yeah. Adamus, uh, you know, you know, he, uh, Andy touched on him and it was just more or less the Rays play around with their guys as far as playing time, but Adamus is plays a solid defensive shortstop. So he's going to get to play every day. Uh, just 24 years old, uh, seeing in- incremental improvements in hard contact barrel rate, uh, strikeout rate, uh, all the necessary improvements that I like to see from a young player. And I just feel like the breakout is coming from him and he does show up high in sprint speed, but hasn't given us the stolen bases that we're looking for. Now that could mean that he, he never will run and they're never confident with his uh, poor success rate, but he has that potential uh, to make a breakout uh, next year. And so I would definitely project him for career highs uh, in home runs and batting average next year. And um, just a, a nice deep league op- option going after 300 right now. Okay. Uh, two more players. And then uh, we'll, we'll, we'll call this thing quits for the listeners. Uh, they're just cause they're interesting to me. Jose Peraza. Jose Peraza is going at 346, and it was a heck of a lot more interesting before Mitch Moreland got signed. How does everyone feel about a guy who, before the Mookie Betts trade, was a guy that was hopefully going to be hitting towards the top of the lineup? I'm not sure where he's going to be now. Uh, Verdugo is probably going to be taking that leadoff role, and now that they signed Mitch Moreland, Chavis may be sliding over to second. Is this a guy anyone's interested in? Uh, or were you interested in? And, and does this uh, signing of Moreland uh, kind of scare anybody i was absolutely interested in him i love uh, jose peraza i I was excited for him signing in boston uh if you go back and check a tweet from about two months ago i said he's going to be a sleeper that everybody's going to want i thought this could be the finally the place he could break out and show what he's capable of which is uh kind of that profile that i was talking about Catel Marte earlier of a 300 plus average kind of guy with you know, 30 plus steals. I'm not expecting anything from the power or anything like that, but sitting atop a Boston lineup, he could have produced a hundred runs, 30 sto- uh, steals and a 300 average, but it, it doesn't seem like he's going to find a way to get those at bats. Now uh, I know they let Brock Holt go and Peraza is going to become their super utility guy. If that's the case, I, I'm not really as interested as if he had a, a bona fide role and position on a daily basis. All right. And the last person, we can go round robin on this one. Uh, Wander Franco, who is not going to be starting the season in the major leagues. Uh, we can probably assume uh, soup, they're going to super to him. He'll be up mid-June, perhaps, if he's hitting like we all expect him to. When would you consider adding him in a standard 12-team league? Uh, if at all, is there, is this a guy that you're going to, you know, every year someone wants to try to find that next Juan Soto, which doesn't really exist, even though he exists. Um, is there, what is your excitement level for Wander Franco? If at all in 2020 redraft leagues, I guess, uh, starting with you, Max, we'll go around everybody. Yeah. I just don't see it. I don't see, uh, the Rays rushing him. They, they know this is their prized possession. And if he's not ready, there's no reason to bring him up. If they think there's anything that he needs to work on, he's going to stay down. Um, so as far as a Super 2 deadline, I don't see it. But maybe 
maybe a very late season call up, but that's not someone that I would be drafting in a 12 team league. Yeah, I, I don't see him playing at all the majors this year at all myself. Um, what Soto did in the jump from A plus to, well, A to A, you know, high A to double A to the Nats all in one season uh, was just, it, it was ridiculous, and I don't think we're ever going to see that again. Uh, Franco hasn't even touched double A yet, and while you like the batter ball profile, like the average, you like what the skills show and say that they're going to be, uh, it's still not all there yet, and this is still you know somebody that's developing. And as we were talking about with Willie Adamas, you know, the Rays do not rush their guys. They, they take their time. Uh, there's absolutely no reason for them to, uh, you know, put, put – him in, put him into what is seeming to be a pennant chase for the Rays. I, I just don't see the need for that. Anyone wonder why the heck I asked this question? We had a question on Twitter who wanted some optimism uh, for Wander Franco because uh, uh, he want, he really someone was really excited about him. He wanted some one of the people on the panel to try to paint a good picture for him. Uh, it's not happening. He's uh, Sam, so young. He's so young. Oh so like, yeah. There's just no. Well, way. Juan Soto yeah. gave people some very unrealistic expectations of what happens in the real world. <laughs> All right. Uh, any final thoughts, everybody? Uh, Sam, starting with you. Uh, we didn't really talk about Jonathan Villar. Um, eh, do we have to? I mean, uh, we covered him a lot on the second base show, actually, which is kind of why I didn't get too much into him. Right, but you fair, can fair enough. I yeah. I mean, if you already covered him, that's fine. But I mean, this is a guy. Ugh, I hate when I say phrases like that, or anybody says phrases like that. I can't believe Col- Collinsworth. Thinking. Yeah, uh, but uh, I mean, forty plus stolen bases. Uh, his ISO was. Um, fantastic this year. I mean, it, it took a jump, but not a huge jump. Uh, his average, I, I, it was pretty much at Camden Yards, though. Like almost oh, 75% of his, his, his damage was at Camden Yards. Yeah. And that's fine. Uh, but I mean, we're talking about a guy who, Jesus Christ, I'm doing it again. <laughs> now, now, <laughs> this is um, a guy. Uh, uh, but the stolen bases plus a little bit of power, especially if, if he's able to somewhat repeat what he did last year. He had a relatively down season in 2018, but even with the Brewers, he had a very good season. So uh, don't forget about Jonathan Villar because he does have shortstop and second base eligibility for that middle infield. Without going too crazy, um, you know, Louis Urias was somebody I was excited to see in Milwaukee, but that looks like it's going to be delayed. Uh, finally got a chance to get out. Um, he's got some eligibility at short there. It's a nasty um, injury too, the broken handmate bone. You know you know yeah. how that can linger, man. Yeah, and and in the first base episode, I was pumping up Nico Goodrum, who just seems to be eligible everywhere. Uh, but one guy I would say don't forget about is uh, Angelton Simmons, who just – doesn't go away. He's still just 30. He seems like he's probably in his 40s. He's going to be at the back end of that Angels lineup, but suddenly, you know, it seems to be a formidable lineup, and, you know, they're going for broke. I think it's a very volatile team, but I, I think they're, they're putting all their chips in this year. When you look at some of the moves they made to, to bolster the rotation and just add some veteran presence, and you get Otani back, uh, hopefully fully healthy. You sign Rendon, who's a huge acquisition for them. Trout, of course, is there. Uh, Simmons is just, you know, he had a down 2019, but he's been a 280, 290 kind of hitter. I don't expect him to steal, you know, a ton of bases, but definitely double digits somewhere in the 15 to 20 range. Uh, and, and he could be in position to score, you know, 80 plus runs. So for somebody, it's basically going for free right now, almost at 300 overall. Uh, that's somebody I wouldn't forget about, especially to plug into like a middle infield position. 
it's a sneaky good lineup there over, or I don't know if it's sneaky <laughs> if everyone's not paying attention, but with adding Jock Peterson, uh, yeah, they're, they could score a lot of runs out there in Anaheim. Max, you get the last word here on uh, all the players. Is there any lasting words you want to leave our viewers with as far as the shortstop position, how to attack it, any players you want to name? Yeah, and, and actually Andy touched on him or just mentioned him, Nico Goodrum. Um, so if you're catching a theme with me in shortstops, it's um, a little bit of power and a little bit of speed. Um, I like the combination uh, of, of that, getting that combo from shortstop because, you know, it's lacking in other positions like first base and third base. So um, I like to get it from shortstop and a guy like Nico Goodrum, while he's, you know, does, doesn't do anything flashy. He's got double digit power and speed the last two years. The lineup is atrocious, but that means he should probably play every day. He's slotted to, to hit second and play shortstop, but he's a Swiss Army Knife, so he's eligible everywhere. Um, so you can kind of just plug him in where you need to. Um, and if he gets over 600 plate appearances, which he's never done, he could go 15-15, which is a nice boost uh, at pick 300. All right. Yeah, that's uh, we covered almost every single shortstop that, that you should be thinking about, at least as far as redraft leagues go. Hopefully you learned something, everybody. Uh, I will try to, I'll, I'll timestamp this out. So, uh, you know, not that it matters to you at the end of the show, because you've already listened to the entire show. So the damage has been done. Uh, but yeah, we covered a lot of people. If you have any of their additional questions, you can always reach out to us on the, the Twitter page at turn to podcast, Max, Thank you for joining us on the show. Uh, can't thank you enough. A lot of great information. If anyone wants to reach out to you and all the great work you do, uh, tell them where they can find your website, where they can find you on Twitter, and how they can yell at you about how uh, you like Trey Turner too much. Yeah, uh, yeah. you can uh, find my website. It's freestats.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter at freestats. You can hit me up, uh, ask me whatever you want. Um, and then I, I write for Fantasy Pros and Pitcher List as well. So uh, you can find me over there as well. So, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Matt, and uh, appreciate talking baseball with you guys. Absolutely. It has Sam uh, making his debut. Where can everyone chase you down? Uh, at FF Stompy on Twitter. Um, yeah, that's really about it right now. <laughs> Just on this <laughs> podcast. Uh, and then some other fantasy football websites that uh, we're not talking about because it's fantasy baseball season. Yeah, baseball. It's almost here, everybody. Andy, where can everyone chase you down? Uh, just search me, Andy Singleton, on Twitter. It comes up as People's Pen, People's with the Z. Uh, everything going on there. Uh, rankings, uh, doing rankings for fantasy pros, doing rankings on expandthebox.com, where you can also find this episode posted. Uh, so just check it out for all things fantasy baseball related. Uh, so yeah, thank you for listening to the Turn Two podcast. If you want to find me on Twitter, you can find me at Matt Williams M A T T W I seven seven I A M S. We'll be back next week as we start uh, the outfield in uh, or no third base. I'm skipping over the uh, the hot corner. Be covering that on Tuesday. Enjoy your weekend and uh, baseball's almost here, everybody. By the time we're on uh, when we're on the air next, baseball would have already started. Pitchers and catchers, everybody. I'm excited. My oh my, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play fantasy. I know I turned two in a day, but the laces ain't hot in my veins. I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today and smash play. I'm prepared to listen. The X flipping whip got me looking way past the pitches. Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first, he can say I'm ready to go. <laughs> I ain't trying to steal second or third. Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it into points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn two Turn two, Turn two. Turn two. What it do? What it do?
Win leaves. Win leaves. Catch out. Catch out. <laughs> Peace. <laughs>